I'm going to read from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. It's our text for today. We'll get back to 1 Corinthians next week. Um, Drew will be giving the message through trends. Um, we're all praying that he stays healthy enough to do that, right? <laughs> it's been a rough go for him recently, but he's on target to do that. So I'm very, very great, grateful for him, and it's, it's a treat to our congregation when he gives the message as well. But for today, let's look at Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, um, and the title kind of being Don't Give Up Still, and we'll talk about why that's the case. But here it is. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of God. I pray he adds his blessing to it. So last year, if you were here on the first Sunday, we did the exact same text. And I wanted to remind you of its key and central message, especially since we spent a year taking a sip. That is starting in prayer. That was what our goal was, really, as a congregation, was to make sure that we are starting in prayer, not, not just as a group of people gathered together kind of like this, but trickling down to our individual lives, uh, not just on a daily basis, but really on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, that one of the reflective actions we have in our lives is to pray in all things. And that is a great privilege that is afforded to those who are the children of God, uh, and a great opportunity, too, but one that we don't often uh, take advantage of. So we want to remember kind of what we learned last year and then also give us a framework for what we are doing in the year ahead. And I, I really enjoy this, this parable so much because Jesus is very straightforward. There are times when Jesus, as he speaks in parables, you're kind of left wondering, how am I supposed to understand that? There can be some, at times, challenges in unpacking it, but Jesus is incredibly straightforward in this, where he told exactly why he gives us this parable. Uh, and that's what he says there in the, the opening line. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. That's the very reason that he told it. Uh, the, the two primary reasons here then, here's a story that Jesus is going to tell to those who walk with him to show that you should always pray and not give up. That's the central point. Always pray and don't give up. So there's, there's this response to all of life that says just always pray, always, always. And at the same time, don't give up. Do it again and again and again. Keep coming back. And the reason you would keep coming back is because as you always pray and you're not giving up, you're waiting in that tension of 
the desires of your hearts, which hopefully reflect God's coming about in space and time. And if it doesn't come about, don't give up. So at the very end of the parable, there's this picture that Jesus says after he's told it of wondering whether or not he comes back if he's going to find faith still. That is, the people who have been coming back and praying again and again, it doesn't seem like it's been answered. So this is really a parable about faith as well, keeping the faith, as it were. As you pray, and you're always praying, and you don't give up, and there's not that resolution, Jesus returns, will he find that the demonstration of your faith is you haven't stopped praying. You're just continuing to go. Kind of like the Energizer Bunny of sorts. If you remember the old commercials where the bunny just kept going and going and going. That's the picture of it. Jesus knew we'd be prone to discouragement in this area. So he tells a parable specifically to help us persevere. Persisting in prayer. Even if it seems like God's not hearing or not acting on your behalf, don't quit. What do we learn about prayer, about not giving up from this parable? Um, Well, one of the things that we see is Jesus intentionally picks the characters in this and also kind of gives us a glimpse of the nature of prayer. And this is... This is underscored in more than just this text, but the first thing we see here specifically about prayer and not giving up is that you have to know you have a need. You have to see that there is a need. You have to acknowledge that there is a need. Jesus uses the examples of example here of a widow coming before a judge. And culturally speaking, at that time, for somebody who was a widow, they were defenseless. They were completely dependent on others. They had very few inherent rights. If you open up the Old Testament and read some of those stories, you know that baked into the culture, there was provisions for people like widows. They got kind of the leftovers, but they were provided for. Everybody else was doing the primary work, and they would come and through the fields and pick what was left over. Some, some was left behind for them. And that tradition carried over even into the New Testament. There were systems created to make sure the people who were widows who didn't have primary caregivers were provided for, but they were not able to do it on their own. They don't have to be convinced of their need. In other words, if you're a widow, you're by definition needy. You don't have access to all these other things. That's quite a contrast, really, to the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector that immediately follows. We're in Luke 18, 1 through 8. In verse 9, this is how it starts off. Immediately afterwards, Jesus, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked on down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So the parable right after this one is of a person who was a Pharisee, high standing, provided for himself, And looked down on everybody else. He was self-confident. He had everything that he needed. I mean, that's a contrast. There's a widow who has nothing. And a Pharisee who seemed to have everything. And the attitude of their hearts are completely different. In one sense, it seems, because one had a need and realized, if God doesn't provide, I'm not going to get anywhere. And the other one had all the mechanisms in place culturally, uh, socially, to provide for himself. Interesting how the heart is changed. The, the glimpse we get of the heart of a person who's completely self-sufficient, 
looking down on others and somebody who's in a place of complete need. It's the same thing that we see in that second parable as well. A person beating them say, God, have mercy on me. I, I need you. And the Pharisee doesn't really need God. If you're going to pray, you have to see that you have a need to do so. And that seems like a basic premise. But the reality is we often won't pray until we see a need. And that could be something as great as the extension of God's kingdom. You might see the need for God's glory to be manifest. And it moves you to prayer. People are not praising God the way they ought to. That's seeing a need. Or something just as simple as a meal. I mean, the Lord's Prayer is so, so spectacular. We prayed it. It's our Father, you know, your kingdom come. And it's, it's so grand and, and amazing. We see a need because we want his kingdom to, to be manifest on earth as it is in heaven. And that hasn't happened yet. We see the need. Let's pray for it. But at the same time, we say, give us our daily bread. Our stomachs remind us that we are contingent beings all the time. Dependent We don't just self-generate things. We need stuff from outside. And that becomes a picture then of how we need the bread of life. The only one who can really provide the deepest hunger of our souls. Jesus is suggesting that in a real way, we all, like widows, have a need. And the question is whether or not we realize that that's actually our situation. In the Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. When you're poor in poverty, whether that's material or, or spiritual, you recognize you have a need. You have a deficiency. And so you look for somewhere else to get it. You can try keep drawing from your own reserves, but the Bible pictures out like an empty cistern. You're going to run out. And so when Jesus shows up and says, I'm the well of life, Draw from me. It's a picture of our need. Water. We need it to survive. Food. We need it to survive. God is the most sustainable food of all. We need him. And that's evidenced here, even by prayer, acknowledging a need. That's one reason we can stop and thank God when we are stripped of self-reliance. I don't know if you've done that before, where you've seen a situation where God has taken you out of yourself and your own self-sufficiency and you've just paused and said, thanks God for showing me I'm a finite being because for a second there I thought I was you. (laughs) I thought I was self-sufficient. I could provide everything that I need. And those who live in obvious dependence are more prone to pray. And when Jesus says, blessed are the poor, part of the reason at least to it is because they recognize they have a need. If you have an obvious, if you don't live in obvious dependence, you may not be praying quite so much. So the example of the widow, um, we, we acknowledge that dependence is there, and it's most clearly demonstrated in the act of prayer. Prayer itself acknowledges a need. It's not just that it acknowledges a need, but you're praying. So it could be, perhaps, for 2023, maybe you spend some time gauging how needy you are in this respect, how much you're demonstrating the reality that prayer is a central component of what it looks like for you to be walking with God. Maybe you do that by gauging 
the consistency of your prayers and the intensity of your prayers, the longevity of your prayers. I mean, this is a parable about somebody who's pretty consistent. They keep going back over and over again, pretty intense in prayers too to the unjust judge. Give me what I want. And also just keeps going, longevity over and over and over and over again. Some of you I know read Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. And, and I read that a handful of years ago. What I, one of the realities that came out of that that I thought was I can, I can identify with, he was talking about how he wasn't praying about his prayer seminars. And he was doing prayer seminars all around the nation telling people how they need to pray and how prayer shows a need. And he realized, I'm not actually praying about the prayer seminars. Because he had a program. He, he was getting response. He was telling people about their need and they're coming to him, you know, and they're saying, yes, you've hit it. And he realized, I'm not doing this. He wasn't helpless about showing others what it meant to be helpless, what it meant to be needy. So Jesus here, has a, he's giving the picture of a widow, talking about prayer, quite intentionally. And the, and the content of the, the widow's uh, appeal uh, is also pretty instructive. Prayer acknowledges the need. But also, as we're thinking about praying and doing it, always praying and not giving up as an expression of faith, we have to realize that prayer expresses a desire for change. I mean, it, we, there's a need, but we also want to see something change. We, we want a, a shift, a movement of the needle in some respect as well. The widow is unwilling to accept the status quo. She wants justice. She wants what's right to be, to be manifest. And she's not willing to settle with things as they are. And that's the nature of what we call petitionary prayer. It's essentially doing battle with a fallen world. We see the brokenness all around us, maybe starting from inside and then looking out. Everywhere we look, there's brokenness. And we can get very apathetic about it, can't you? I know I can. Because you feel like you're so tired of seeing the brokenness. And some of us who just like, oh, Lord Jesus, come. You love that last verse in the Bible. Come, Lord Jesus. But he hasn't come. Not yet. You have stuff to do here. Part of what he's called us to do is to be a people of prayer, not only acknowledging a need, but expressing a desire for change. It's the absolute and undying refusal to accept as normal what is pervasively abnormal around us and inside of us. We get comfortable with fallenness, stop pleading for redemption because that process is hard and takes time, or because we think it can't happen. David Wells, in Perspectives on the World Christian Movement, says, Why then do we pray so little? Is it really that our technique is bad, our wills are weak, or our imaginations listless? I don't believe so. The answer, quite simply, is that we don't believe it will make a difference. You know, the, the widow keeps coming back to the judge again and again. She thinks, if I keep bothering him, it may actually change something. If she gets to the point where she says, it's not going to make a difference anyway, she's not going to go. But she goes again and again and again. We accept things as they are and don't believe they can change. And nothing destroys petitionary prayer as much as resignation. 
I give up. It's not going to change. And we need to confess the sins of complacency and apathy, faithlessness. We need to ask God for a heart that weeps for what is wrong and what is out of order. And you know what that is. You see it all around you, but sometimes we just get tired of it or we're, we're so weary of it as well. And Bob Happy, a missionary in London who I respect very deeply, um, said, said something that stuck with me, and I, I wrote it down when I was on a trip with him once. As soon as we stop praying about these things, ice starts growing on our hearts. If we stop praying about the things that, that we, we, we want to see change because we know that there's a brokenness there that needs to be healed. And, 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 and over time, if it doesn't seem like it's changing, we, ice can grow in our hearts as we stop praying about it. Things like people worshiping something other than the one true God who deserves all the glory and honor. The poor exploited or unheard all around the world. Sexual sin, rampant, abuse, common. Untold numbers of children without parents, enslaved. Marriages in crisis and feeling beyond repair. The list goes on and on. These are not as they should be. And Christ himself is telling us to pray for this kind of justice. Wrongs to be made right now. And if we find ourselves the offender, because perhaps you're somebody who's done these things, and we need to bend the knee and ask forgiveness of the offended. And perhaps you're somebody in the offended category, and we must persevere then in prayer and plead for the wrong to be made right, for sure. But Jesus says again, to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. Do you think that's humanly possible? It, it might be to a certain extent. It may, it may be something with self-improvement and everything. You see the benefit. Some people, frankly, some of you are just forgiving people, Christian or not. But if you really want to get to the heart of this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, Pray for those who mistreat you. I wonder if part of the way you get to those other things is at the end there, praying for those who mistreat you. I've told you before, I remember when I was in high school, a girl sharing with me about her father. Her father had sexually abused her, and she was sharing, sharing that information with me. I was a new, I was a new believer, just fought, started, walk, started walking with Christ myself, and um, <clears throat> she was sharing this with me, and I said, Have you, can you pray for your father? And she said, no, I hate him. I can't pray for him. And I said, oh, I guess that makes sense. Can you pray that God would make you one day to want to pray for your father? I don't know. So what about praying about praying about one day, God praying that you could forgive your father? It's like, yeah, I think I could do that. I've actually looked her up on Facebook trying to find her. Like, I'm so curious about it. I can't, I can't even remember how to spell her name. Um, but you know that sometimes that's what it, like, that's what like the image of ice, ice on our hearts and, and prayer. There's something about this this process I think of prayer as well, the expressing the desire for change, and then if we stop doing it because it's not happening or it's just too hard, then ice grows, and part of the thawing process is in the act of prayer itself.
Prayer melts the ice on our, our, our own hearts. But it also petitions the only one who can melt the ice on others, too. At the end of the day, <laughs> how are you going to change somebody like that? You can't. Our control is so limited. That's why we petition the one who can. And that's also another aspect of prayer that we see here in this parable, too, because prayer demonstrates faith. Uh, Jesus makes that pretty clear in his final comment. Now, Jesus uses the unjust judge as a starting point to go from the lesser to the greater, if you're familiar with that. If a judge who does not fear God or care about people will be moved to action by this widow, how much more, that's the lesser, the greater, how much more will God, who pleads the case for the oppressed, for the orphan, for the alien, for the widow, respond to those who are his sons and daughters. How will he be moved to act all the more so? And that is an important concept because we are children going to a father who likes to give good gifts. And so our, our, our appeal is relational in nature. I mean, in this parable, God is, is kind of pictured, Jesus is saying, look, here's, a, here's an unjust judge, but we know that's not who God is. He's just and he's not just a judge who's sitting, he's the one who is our father, who's accessible to us as well. How much more so then can you, can you acknowledge your need before him and express a desire for change? Because he's not this remote judge. And you're not just a random widow. You're, your name is on his lips. You're his son, you're his daughter. And it's not faith in answered prayer, but faith in the God who answers prayers. That's who we're going to. See, that's part of why Jesus is talking about faith here. It's the proof of your faith isn't the fact that your prayer was answered. It's in the fact that you're going to the only one who can answer it. Again and again and again. And there is a dilemma, of course. Oftentimes our prayers don't get answered in the way that we express them or in the timing we desire. Even if they seem to line up with things God should intervene on. He should do. He does care about this. And if we're honest, you and I will probably wonder then if I've expressed my need and, 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 and a desire for change and this all lines up with what seems to be something that would be good. How come it's not happening? Why isn't it there? If we're honest about it, we have to say, does he, maybe, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he really can't do anything about it. Maybe he really wants to change these messed up things, but can't. And that, obviously, that's where the cross that we sang about earlier becomes central here. The cross says yes to all those questions. Does he care? Yes. He incarnated himself, became flesh, walked in our midst, died on a cross. The cross says he cares. Can he do something about it? Yes. He did. All the wrongs, all the hurts, all the injustices, he paid for on the cross. Does he really want change? Yes. He does. That's why he came. That's why he walked among us. That's why he called 
his own to him. That's why he died. The foundation of his hearing, our prayers as well. I mean, listen to Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's pretty amazing. So the cross says he can, cares, and the resurrection says he can, effectively. Does he care? Yes, he dies. Can he? He rose from the dead. That's what, that's what Paul's saying. Christ Jesus who died and was raised to life is at the right hand of God. And what's he doing there? Praying for you and for me. He's interceding for us. He's interceding. Christ is praying for you. You know, when you come to me and you say, hey, I've got a need, and say, I'll pray for you. Hopefully, more than five times out of ten, I'll actually do it. Jesus, he's batting 100%. Those aren't, those aren't just words. I'll pray for you. He is doing it now. He is at the right hand of God. We talk about this in the Apostles' Creed. He ascended into heaven. Now, Jesus is at the right hand of God. And one of the things he's doing there is interceding for you. He's praying for you. You are on his prayer list for 2023. And Jesus is pray for, fill in your name, fill in your blank. That's you. He's praying for you. He cares and he can. So why do our prayers seem to go unanswered at times? How do we understand this statement in verse 8? They will get justice and quickly. Well, first we need to remember the point of the parable, right? Which is don't give up. (laughs) Go again. That's the why he said it. Don't give up. Keep praying. Don't give up. Keep praying. Always. Always pray. Don't give up. Keep doing it. That's the point. The parable is focused less on the resolution and more on the process. In that respect, it's a parable about faith. Will he find faith on earth? Faith demonstrated by prayer that is consistent, intense, and in it for the long haul. And of course, here's the reality. Answered prayer can be a reward of faith. You know, if you're not praying about anything, why would you expect to see the answer to it? It's part of what happens. You pray, we've got this thing, like, wow. I was looking back at our, our, our SIP, you know, start in prayer, Redeemer Church, and I went through, and some of these prayer requests are not measurable. It's very, very difficult for me to, to understand if, if our volunteers have wisdom in the craziness to, you know, <laughs> to know how to express Christ to others. But there are some measurable ones, and of all the measurable ones, only one are we still waiting on. That's fun. That's why you write these things down. Now look at that. It's exciting looking through, but some, that one's still waiting. So what do we do? Give up? On it? Say he didn't answer? No. It can be a reward of faith, but perseverance amidst unanswered prayer is where faith itself is demonstrated most clearly. That seems to be the driving force. It is the driving force of this parable. He says that that's what it is. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep praying. But will he find faith? Jesus wonders if he'll find faith on earth because when he returns to tie up loose ends, there will be a lot of unfinished storylines. You know what I mean by that, right? There's stories being told. They're unfinished. 
when Jesus comes, he'll find unfinished storylines. And there'll be a time when he says, I'm tying these all up. But in the meantime, will he find faith? How's that faith demonstrated? Don't give up. Keep praying. Always, over and over and over. Don't do it. Injustice will come. Will he still find people praying despite those unfinished storylines in 2023? And of course, we have to realize, as maybe you've noticed, God's timeline's a little different than ours. Quickly can be a very different idea for us than it is for God, who has always been and always will be. For him, a day is like a thousand years, you know? If a day is a thousand years, like a thousand years, could even be more. What's ten minutes in our life for God? A long time. That's the already not yet nature of Scripture. There's substantial and real progress. And God does give installments of real and measurable answers to these prayers. Real changes in the areas of things like justice or even healing. Because we all long for that. But it does await a consummation point, a final moment when he returns. So what we need certainly is a cosmic perspective on this. We get that in Psalm 73, one of my favorite psalms when I'm struggling with looking around me and saying, how can things be this way? Not only in the world, but in the church. It just doesn't make sense. And the psalmist is struggling with that until he went into the sanctuary and got kind of a glimpse. It was like, God peeled things back and showed him a bigger perspective, a cosmic perspective. I'm going to make everything that's wrong right. And it may not happen in your time right now. You may not see it. But will I find faith? In light of that, don't give up. There's real hope for answered prayer now. But if that prayer seems to fall on deaf ears, it doesn't. Christ is interceding. He's, he's in dialogue with the prayers that we're offering. And he's saying, continue to persevere in faith. I mentioned earlier the prayer requests. I, I, I kept every request you gave me, you gave us, I kept. And I went, I went through these, and I was looking through and saying, wow, thanks, God, for answering that prayer. There are some, some really awesome answered prayers here. And some of you have even heard stories of those things, too. And I thought it would be interesting to categorize them by, by like, topics. So... The, the, the leading topic of 2022 for prayer was family. All these requests mentioned something about family. Uh, parenting, uh, a child, uh, a parent, um, relationships with a spouse, whatever. That's the biggest stack. Anybody want to guess the second largest stack? Health. Yes. Health. Right. So the second biggest stack. Some of these kind of could kind of be... Tossed back and forth, but I thought the, the main theme was family there, too. So, yeah, you've got a health request that somebody's sick or something like that, too. The second, second, second leading one there, too. And then the third, third category was for guidance. So, like, you know, what do I do with the situation? Give me wisdom for how, how to do things next. Um, and then the next category which was a few things here, too, was world events. So I was thinking about this parable, too, expressing a desire for change. So 
I want to commend you. I think praying family and health, yeah, keep those prayer requests coming. One of the privileges you have if you're walking with the Lord is praying for the people in your sphere of influence. You can do that better than anybody else. You should be doing that. It seems to me maybe there are some opportunities for us, though, and you might be doing this, but I don't know, and the people who are doing it, like for world events. So if we're talking about prayer expressing a desire for change, justice or whatever the case may be here in this text too, it looks like we could have more requests coming in for that as well, perhaps in the next year. And then the, the smallest amount was for personal sanctification. One request <laughs> that I kept, I kept track of, it's, which was great, you know, pray that I won't love the world, stop being double-minded, and be humbled and have a broken heart over sin. So I, I just, I wanted to rehash what we talked about a year ago so that we can think about what that means not only for the pasture but for the one ahead. Because this, this business of prayer that we highlighted, it doesn't finish, and that, we're going to be doing some things similar to but different from prayer uh, in, the, in the year ahead just to kind of keep us remembering about the opportunity to, to cultivate that sense in our lives of not giving up, of always praying. What a great opportunity that's ahead of us. So you might want to, you might want to dust off the old, the old uh, prayer list that you had there too and recommit to it for this upcoming year, because at the end of the day, again, if God isn't building this house or, or whatever figurative term that is for you in your life on a literal level, your, your, your kids, your place of employment, your dreams, we're building it in vain. And I don't, I don't know if any of us signed up. Does anyone want 2023 to be the year of vanity, the year of chasing the wind, of making zero progress, of spinning the wheels, of getting stuck in the mud? I don't see that in most people's, you know, vision for the future. But we know for a fact that God's calling us to prayer. He's calling us not to give up and to pray always. What, what an awesome opportunity. Let's always pray. Let's not give up. And some of those prayers we've seen answered are pretty, pretty spectacular. Um, but some of those may not come, come about in 20 It doesn't mean we stop doing it. Let's keep encouraging each other. When, when God gives us little glimpses of how he answers those, that becomes fuel, I think, for not giving up. So let's keep sharing those stories as well. Father, we want to commit this next year to you. I pray that we would be a praying people. I pray that we'd always pray. <laughs> that we'd start doing that now. We'll cultivate a sense of dependence on you as evidenced by quickly praying. No, well, we looked at Nehemiah some time ago, too. There were calculated times of prayer, but there were also times when he just, he just prayed immediately on the spot. It kind of covers everything. So help us to be people of prayer. And where we feel like our prayers have gone unheard and change doesn't come about, it could be that you're waiting for some other timing. It could be that you are in the process of recalibrating us and shifting our desires and, and showing us there's something even better happening here, maybe, maybe something in, in, inside of us that's changing the way we think about the world or the people that we love the most. 
We, don't, we know not everything is going to be answered right now and, and made whole because of sin. So we thank you for the small glimpses of it, but we pray that even as we continue praying and feel like we're not being heard, we would believe the gospel. We would look to Christ. We would remember our hearts that are feeble with faith and say, help my unbelief. Boy, we'd love to see some of these prayers answered. But even more, Father, we pray that if Christ were to return with these unfinished storylines, he would say, I have found faith here. Because you believed there would be a day when I would come and make everything right. Though you did not even see it in your timeline. And isn't that the story of the Old Testament? We're people who look back and we have the historical reality of Christ. May that be an anchor for us to pray not just in a persevering way, but a bold way for change in the year ahead. May that change be within and work to without. May that change be something that glorifies you, something that steals our faith and our resolve. And even when it, we don't see maybe it being answered, just reminds us that there is a day coming when you will come and make things right. May that be our rest because we're not, we're not praying just so that we can get answers to our prayer. We're praying because we're in relationship with the God who wants to hear our hearts. May that be a central reality for us in 2023. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.